The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. All right, welcome everybody. Hoping you're having a great, uh, I guess it's a cheesecake or something like that day. I didn't know. I would have. I would have. I would have included something, uh, some tributes in uh, in my. Uh, uh, all right, in my uh, program today. All right, today we've got we've got a full show. We've got a lot going on. Uh, I want to talk. I haven't talked much about Donald Trump. And uh, this week seems like an appropriate week to uh, to do so, given all the changes in the White House and uh, the fact that uh, Anthony Scaramucci has been made Donald Trump's uh, director of communication. I mean, I when I heard that, I, I have to say I, I was blown away by that, that Anthony Scaramucci is now director of communication. Now, I met Anthony Scaramucci. I met him. Um, years ago, maybe five, six years ago, in the context, in a completely, complete context, a business context, in the context of a business. I, you know, some of you might know I'm, I'm involved in the hedge fund business and uh, Scaramucci is a hedge fund investor. And I was there with my partner to discuss what we were doing and what they were doing and kind of see if there was any way to work together. There wasn't, but, but it was a, it was a, a friendly, a friendly meeting, a friendly conversation, and uh, and and could productive and, and useful, I guess. Uh, but it was also one of the most shocking um, business meetings I've ever been to. Um, Scaramucci was, you know, couldn't stop using the F word. I mean, this was a business meeting. Nice suits, ties, New York in in his office. Uh, I think it was a little boardroom, if I remember right, and. I had never experienced um, a business meeting that was so that where, where such vulgar language was used. It was just shocking. It was just shocking to me that anybody could talk like this in the context of you know in the context of business. You, you know, without and any successful, so without hurting his reputation, I guess, without hurting anything. Um, here he was using the F word and much worse. Constantly during the conversation, I remember walking out and, and turning to my partner and saying, "Have you ever, have you ever experienced such a thing? This guy is one character." And I mean, I, I've been at lots of business meetings. I've been at lots of um, locker rooms and lots. And, and that business meeting was off the charts in just terms of the vulgarity. And um, you know, I thought nothing of it. And we didn't land up doing much business with Anthony Scaramucci, although my partners uh, did, and and uh, he he used to hold big conferences in Vegas, and and uh, I think some of my partners attended that. But for me, it, it that was it. There was one meeting, and and nothing more than that. And um, until you know, he, there was talk about Scaramucci being affiliated with Trump, which didn't surprise me at all in terms of their personalities, this you know uh, rough and tumble vulgar, uh, you know, hit first, think uh, second mentality that both Trump and Scaramucci say. So it didn't, it didn't surprise me that Scaramucci was um, 
you know, was talked about uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the administration. And I guess they gave him some he was given some minor role um, to begin with. Uh, I can't remember exactly where where was uh, where's Karamuchi before he just got this uh, new position. Um, anyway, it's 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 eluding me, um, but but nothing nothing too dramatic. And then suddenly, he's appointed director of communication. And and what is so stunning to me is about this is a guy whose only means that I could tell of communicating, at least when his tempo was or, or when he got comfortable, when he was relaxed, or as it turns out, when his temper, uh, you know, when he's a little angry, is to lash out, is to be vulgar, is to curse left and right. And this is now not just some guy who runs a hedge fund and who cares and it doesn't matter one way or the other. This is now the United States of America's, you know, uh, uh, director of communication. This is the role model for how communication should be done. This is the standard by which good communication should be evaluated. This is the guy responsible for communicating what the, uh, the, the interests of the president. This is the guy responsible for communicating, um, you know, what's in the national interest and what's important and uh, in the direction of the country and helping uh, the, the, the president articulate uh, a position for the country. And, and to me, this just says everything you need to know about where we are as a country and about where this administration is in terms of administration. The, the, the fact that at the highest levels of the United States of America government, not, not Stalin, not Venezuela, not, um, you know, not some authoritarian regime, but in the United States of America, the symbol of freedom, the symbol of liberty, the symbol of, 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 of reason and the application of reason to politics, you now have a president and, and a leadership that is inarticulate, vulgar, curses nonstop, not just in private, all right, in public, we all curse in private, but in public, um, it, the idea that major policy decisions in this administration are being communicated to us by Twitter, Twitter, 144 characters, the symbol of non-thinking, of, of non-integration, of not having big thoughts and big ideas and, and a real conversation and a real argument, but just the, the ultimate in a soundbite, shallow mentality. It, it, it just, it, you know, this is, this is where this country's come to, and it's, it's shocking to me. And, and look, yeah, I know, everybody's saying, but, uh, but Hillary would have been worse. You know, maybe, I don't know. But it's bad. It's bad. Stop justifying everything in the name of, but Hillary would have been worse, crybabies. Yeah, maybe Hillary would have been worse, but this is bad. And unless somebody calls it for being bad, how's it ever going to get better? How's it ever going to get better if everything now that this, you know, uh, ridiculous regime that we have in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, we, we give it a pass in the name of, Hillary would have been worse. I mean, this is, a, this is an administration with no ideas. This is an administration with no agenda. I mean, the only saving grace of the Trump administration, the only saving grace is that he is appointing some good people 
in junior positions all across the bureaucracy who are going to do in the short run decent things in terms of deregulating, in terms of getting the government out of people's lives. They're going to be little changes all over the place. They're going to affect individual lives significantly, and particularly in business. There's going to be significant deregulation for particular businessmen in particular industries. The, the different government departments are going to go less after that, and that's all good. But the president's job is more than that. It's to set a direction. It's to change big things. It's to, and, and the direction so far is, you know, I, I'm just going to lash out at whoever I don't like. Uh, I have no strategy. I have no agenda. Republicans don't repeal Obamacare. You're fine. You know, I'll send it back so next time they'll do it. What about ideas? What about leadership? What about going in television in front of the American people and saying, this is why Obamacare is evil. Here are all the issues why Obamacare is a disaster for you, the American people, and you need to get involved in putting pressure on your congressmen, on your senators to repeal this. I mean, he hasn't done a single like direct appeal to the American public on anything. But you think Obamacare right now would be the issue to do it on. Right? Go out there and get the American people involved. Go out there and get them engaged. Don't just, well, didn't pass. Go back and try again. But, you know, what is that going to do? The, these idiots in Congress, they're not going to pass Obamacare. They're, I mean, they're not going to repeal Obamacare. They don't have the guts to repeal Obamacare. And, and, and their constituency right now, it's not clear, is interested in truly repealing Obamacare. You know, there are a lot of people out there who like the good things about Obamacare and, and, and claim to despise the bad things about Obamacare. But does a majority of the American people want more free markets in healthcare? Does anybody know that for a fact? Has anybody made the case to the American people that that is what they should want? <clears throat> As the president of the United States, you'd think that was his job. All right. Um, you can call in, if I can find the number, there it is, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. You, uh, you can call in, and um, what do you think? What, what do you think is the state of, the, uh, of this administration? What do you think is, uh, you know, what do you think is, what's the future? Where, where are we heading? Where are the Republicans heading? Where's the Republican Party heading? Where's the United States heading? Are you as worried and depressed as I am about the politics of the United States and about what's going on in the world? Or do you have signs of optimism? We will in the second hour today talk about the new optimists. This is a, a new intellectual movement out there that are very optimistic about the future of civilization. And I'm tempted by them. I, I, I like a lot of what they say, so we'll talk about that. All right, you're listening to Iran Book Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, hopefully we'll take some of your calls and we'll talk more about the craziness it is the Trump administration. You're listening to your own book show on the Blaze Radio Network. Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Yaron Book Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to The Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. So uh, we are talking about uh, the Trump administration and uh, its, um, in my view, complete incompetence and vulgarity. The vulgarity of the president. This, I think this administration, I- I'm sure Obama swore and Bush swore and everybody else swore, but they didn't do it in public. Um, This is the first administration that I know of where um, people are being fired over Twitter. Uh, First administration I remember where an attorney general is attacked by the president in public, both to the press and over Twitter, but not fired, uh, and is supposed somehow to defend himself and somehow to keep functioning somehow. Now, let, let me be clear. I am no fan of Jeff Sessions. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Jeff Sessions will probably my my uh, least favorite appointment. Uh, that's putting it mildly in the Trump administration. I think Jeff Sessions is a horrible, horrible attorney general, not because he didn't recuse himself over the Russia thing, which I actually think was the right thing to do, but because he he's a huge believer in civil for, uh, forfeiture, which is, in my view, anti-constitutional, anti-individual rights. Just a horrific, horrific policy. Um, it, it also, because he is so adamantly uh, anti-immigration, including anti-legal immigration, anti-W uh, two. So this is a guy who I, you know, I would love to see gone from the administration. He is, uh, he, he is way too religious for my liking. For somebody to be in that position, and he brings his religion with him. He's anti. He's pro-drug war in a way that we haven't seen a Justice Department head in a long time. And I think, again, uh, being uh, the, the drug war, including one marijuana, which is, he is big on, is going to create lots of conflicts with the states, uh, puts people in jail for, for victimless crimes. Uh, you know, it really is destructive to the, the, the whole, uh, the whole dr- war on drugs, which, you know, I guess we'll have to do a whole... Uh, a whole show on at some point, but it's just unbelievably uh, destructive uh, for the fabric of American uh, American society. And and uh, you know he is uh, he is big on uh, on the war on drugs. So uh, not my favorite guy, but you know what? This is not how a president should treat his attorney general. It's not how a president should treat an attorney general. By attacking you on Twitter, attacking you in the media, you know, bring him, sit him down, fire him if you need to, replace him if you need to. What, what are you trying to do? Put pressure on him? I mean, the, the whole, the whole, this whole presidency is just bizarre to I me. Mean, now, look, I was no fan of the Obama presidency. Obama was a nihilist. Obama was anti-American. Uh, 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 Trump is not anti-American. I, I don't think. Trump knows what America is. I don't think he understands the nature of America, the nature of what America stands for, the nature of what America represents. But in his own vulgar, primitive, superficial, shallow way, he loves America. He's pro-American. So I give him that certainly over Obama. But his representation of what America is and the direction he's taking America in is is just a continuous of what of, of of the Obama administration's nihilism. This is a different type of nihilism. I mean, look at this administration. It's it's a completely nihilistic, destructive, self-destructive 
uh, program. And, and, you know, I, I complimented them on, on um, getting, re- you know, replacing a lot of junior positions and putting in good people who are going to do good things. But I'll give you one example. The, the, the CFPB, the Consumer, Consumer Something Protection Board or something like that, uh, Consumer Finance Protection Board, of course, Consumer Finance Protection Board. This is one of the most unconstitutional regulatory agencies ever created by Congress. This is part of Dodd-Frank. It's a, uh, it's a, it has massive authority with almost no oversight. Congress doesn't even approve its budget. It gets its budget directly from the Federal Reserve. It, it has already, in, its, in the few years it has existed, done immense damage to consumer finance in America, to the rule of law in America, to free markets in, in the financial industry in America. The head of the CFPB is a real you know, socialist in many respects, a real nasty character, a really, really bad guy who hates banks, who hates capitalism, who hates America. And he hasn't been replaced. He hasn't been fired. And, and it's just stunning. There was actually, at the top of the news, there, there, there was some discussion about the fact that, uh, you know, some, uh, some congressmen are encouraging his replacement on the basis that he's running for governor somewhere. That's not the basis he should be fired. He should be fired because he's a really, really bad guy. He should be fired because supposedly he advocates for a philosophy, for a view of the world, for a view of markets, for a view of capitalism that's opposite of that of the president of the United States. And he hasn't been fired. It's unthinkable. This is one of the most destructive agencies that exist. And it has to be reined in. And Congress should, one of the first things Congress should have done under the Republican administration is change the law so the CFPB now is a part of, you know, regular, a regular regulatory agency rather than the way it's structured today, which is, you know, just a complete and utter disaster. So even the good stuff is not happening fast, as fast as it should. You know, many, many appointments uh, have not been filled. I think this is the slowest administration in history to fill appointments, to fill some of these minor appointments. And it's not because of uh, Democrats not, al- not allowing these appointments to go through Congress. It is because the administration is slow in appointing people to these positions. And it's not surprising with all the infighting, with all the chatter, with all the distractions, with all the nonsense that's going on, and with the president more concerned about his image through Twitter than he is about actually governing the country. It is not surprised that they haven't had the time to vet the kind of people that we need to hold in these regulatory positions in the various departments within government uh, that are necessary in order to really change the way government is functioning, the way the executive branch is functioning. It is dysfunctional from the top down. All right. Um, we're going to go to a break after the break. Call in. What do you think? What your thoughts about the Trump administration? There must be some Trump fans out there that are offended by what I'm saying. Call in. Give me your best case. Give me your best shot. Other than he's better than Hillary. That one, I'm tired of hearing. Um, and the number is 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. Love to hear from somebody who's a Trump fan and who wants to defend this administration, particularly if you want to defend Scaramucci. I've seen some people defending him. In the meantime, you're listening to the Iran Brook Show, where I try not to be vulgar on the Blaze Radio Network, and we'll be right back after these messages. Iran. 
Rock on the Blaze Radio Network. Yaron Brook. All right, this is uh, the Yaron Brook Show. We're, we're back, and we're talking about uh, we're talking about Donald Trump. We're talking about this administration. I, I guess everybody's just sick of this, and uh, maybe sick of uh, hearing about it, sick of talking about it, sick of uh, the whole thing. Um, you know, one of the things that happened this week that that again is relevant to this administration and to the to the chatter above everything else. Is, is North Korea, in spite of all the bravado, in spite of all the claims that we're going to do something, that we're going to hold them accountable, that we're going to go after them. Uh, North Korea launched another ICBM uh, this last week. And, um, you know, nothing else. And, uh, you know, it, they're not afraid of us. They're not worried. They don't care. All the bluster, all the talk, all the tweets, all the whatever doesn't matter the the the, the north koreans are puddling ahead the chinese obviously have not stopped uh, supporting them neither of the russians the russians are heavily involved in north korea probably providing them much of the technology i think the russians more so than the chinese providing them with the technology necessary for these icbms and and for uh, uh you know elaborating and, and what has this administration done nothing nothing now you have to remember the history here this goes way back, way back into the 90s, into the Clinton administration, even before the Clinton administration, Bush and Reagan did almost nothing to control the North Korea's attempts to, uh, to, to build nuclear weapons. We continued to supply them with humanitarian aid. We continued to feed them and, 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 and help them and send them money and send them resources. And the South Koreans did the same. And every time they would violate a treaty, we would continue to negotiate with them and we would appease them and we would compromise with them and it would go on and on and on and on and and then we'd have a treaty and they would promise oh no we're not developing nuclear weapons sound familiar sound a little bit like the iranian deal and we would do nothing and then they'd violate the treaty and we'd say oh that's horrible we're going to put sanctions on you and then they would negotiate again and it would over and over every two years we'd have this rolling thing I and mean, if you look at the history of negotiating with north korea it's an amazing thing and here we are now where they've got nuclear weapons and they've got looks like what looks like an ICBM and it's just a matter of time I guess before they put the two together and connect the two now you know whether we, they would use it or not is a different question but we keep saying we'll never allow the North Koreans to have an ICBM with a nuclear weapon on top of it and yet we do nothing we are the world's history history's greatest paper tiger right we have the mightiest military force in human history and yet we do zero, right? Now, I don't know if the U.S. should attack uh, North Korea right now. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I would develop a strategy around that and, and, uh, and, and make it real. But if, you, if you're going to talk, then you better act. And if you're not going to act, then don't talk. Don't talk. But yeah, I'm not against war. If evil regimes need to be destroyed if they are real threat to the United States. So I would, you know, I would uh, love to be privy to the kind of intelligence 
that our, uh, our intelligence agencies have about North Korea. And if we really believe that the North Koreans have the capacity to attack the United States and have the willingness to attack the United States, would actually go through with it, uh, or that they would use their nuclear umbrella to attack South Korea, then yeah, somebody should attack them. Now, I would like to see the South Koreans giving a lot more responsibility for their own defense than we have right now. I would like to see the United States ultimately withdraw from the Korean Peninsula and let the South Koreans take care of the North Koreans. South Korea is a rich country. They can afford to, to, to arm a proper military. They can afford to arm uh, a, a military that should be able to crush the North Koreans, which is one of the poorest, if not the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, what, what do they need us for just, just to be parasites? One of the few things I liked about Trump when he was running for candidates was what he said about Japan and North Korea uh, should be able to support their own militaries and they, they, they shouldn't be reliant on American subsidies as much. And the same goes for NATO. But of course, again, that was, that was campaigning. And now here we are. Um, now here we are post when he actually has the capacity to do something and Trump does absolutely nothing except talk. He's a great talker. Talk, 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 right? Love to see something, right? If you're going to talk, walk the walk. And, and the way to walk the walk in this case is, for example, next time the missile, North Koreans launch a missile, an ISBM, uh, knock it down with an anti-missile, with the anti-missile technology we have today. Knock it down. Show them it's serious. Show them also you're not worried about that because you have the technology to knock down their missiles. I would take an ICBM launch by the North Korean as an act of aggression. And therefore, I would knock down their missile. Right? Now, ideally, the, North Co the South Koreans would do it because the South Koreans are the ones really threatened. The Japanese would do it because the Japanese are the ones really threatened. But to the extent that the United States is threatened by North Korea, yeah, I'm a big proponent of, of uh, uh, preemption. I'm a big proponent of preemption because preemption saves a lot of lives in the long run and it, it, and it prevents a, a much more catastrophic war. But, you know, it's tricky with North Korea. You have to know what you're doing. You have to do it right because uh, they have the capacity to flatten Seoul, uh, Seoul, South Korea, very, very quickly. Again, why I think the South Koreans should be empowered uh, to defend themselves, should be empowered to build up the military capabilities and the self-defense self capabilities to take care of a North Korean threat. All right. Um, so, again, uh, administration that is completely impotent, talks, 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 like in everything, talks, 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 and does nothing of value. And, and uh, you're seeing that uh, the, the only good, the only good stuff, the, <laughs> the only actual actions that this administration takes on the bad stuff, right? Uh, yeah, we're deporting more people than we ever have before. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're antagonistic to immigration more than we have before. We've We've stopped any efforts to expand legal immigration uh, by, by restricting uh, W-2s in, in significant fashion. We, we've done all the bad stuff, all the bad stuff, right? Um, all right, we, we've got a call uh, from Joseph. And Joseph, if you don't mind, hold on the line because we're, we're coming up to a break. And I, I want to give you enough time to actually get into this. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off until after the break uh, to take your call. Um, 
but yeah, it's it, the bad stuff is happening. The stuff he's not good at, you know, the talk about even even a trade. There's a lot of bad stuff happening in the background, which you're not seeing. Some a few tariffs were passed, nothing dramatic yet, but there, there's a lot of um, movement. And of course, there's a lot of infighting within the administration about the trade stuff because significant players in the administration are not as anti-trade as uh, as Trump uh, claimed to be, and as uh, his uh, anti-trade czar Navarro, the pseudo-economist from the University of California, Irvine, uh, who's in charge of one of the trade organizations within the government, uh, has been. So, um, you know, bad stuff. But but this is. This is just an incompetent, uh, a completely uh, do-nothing administration. They, they, they've done nothing uh, on any of the more positive agenda items that Republicans have campaigned about, and Obamacare is symbolic for everything that this administration stands for. And Scaramucci's rant about Priebus and about Bannon, as much as I hate Bannon, just the way in which Scaramucci expressed himself represents much of, of, uh, of kind of the vulgarity, the shallowness, and the impotence, the real impotence, other than talking, of this administration. All right, you're listening to Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be back after these commercials. Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Yaron Brooks Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Book Show. All right. We're back, and we're talking Trump, and we're talking Scaramucci, and we're talking North Korea. Let me say something about North Korea, and then we're going to go to Joseph, who wants to defend Donald Trump. Um, look, North Korea is a brutal dictatorship. North Korea has no legitimacy as a nation. The regime of North Korea is not a regime anybody should recognize its right to exist. Any country, any country has the right to invade North Korea and to replace that regime. The only question is, so I believe, so let, let me make the more philosophical point. I believe that a, a, a regime, a, a, a governing uh, uh, institutions, gain their legitimacy from the people, from respecting the rights of the people. If a government is in its essential characteristic a rights offending, a rights oppressing government, as the North Korean government is, as the Iranian government is, as to some extent, uh, you know, many of the other, uh, you know, many other governments are to one extent or another. But those two, or Cuba or others, clearly, are, uh, their governing ideology, everything about them is rights oppressing. They have no legitimacy, and anybody who goes in to replace them has legitimacy to do so. There is no sovereignty. You cannot have sovereignty to oppress people. You cannot have sovereignty to enslave people. Slave regimes, like the South in the United States of America, have no legitimacy, legitimate autonomy. They have no legitimate sovereignty. And it's okay, in a sense, to invade them. The question then becomes, the only question then becomes, is it in the interest of the United States of America to invade 
an oppressive regime? And in 99% of the cases, the answer is no, because those regimes are not a threat to the United States of America. The only time it is legitimate for the United States to engage in war is in self-defense, not because I'm worried about the other side, not because I'm worried about the North Koreans, but because I'm worried about America, American troops, American treasure, the cost of a war in lives, the cost of a war in people. You do not go to war unless it's in self-defense. Again, not because you're worried about people in North Korea or people in Iraq or people in, uh, in, um, in Iran. The, you know, those regimes are responsible for their people. And if those regimes are oppressing rights, they're not legitimate. Your concern is the lives of Americans. When I see 5,000 American kids die for an Iraqi war that does nothing at the end of the day to protect the lives of Americans, that's horrific. That is a, a, that is a disaster. That is borderline treasonous. Right? So the only reason to engage in preemptive war against North Korea is if we truly believe, and I'm not convinced of this, but if we truly believe that they are a significant viable threat to the lives and property of Americans. Um, but at the very least, we should engage in we should engage in a blockade of North Korea. We should engage in making sure nobody trades with them. Which there's a lot of things you can do short of war that would penalize the North Koreans significantly. All right, uh, we're going to go to Joseph. Joseph, in uh, where are you, Joseph? Hey, I'm in uh, I'm in Georgia, heading to Colorado. Oh wow, that's a long drive. Yep. Uh, All right. I'm a I'm a truck driver. I run the 48, lower oh, cool. 48. Cool. Hey, well, talk to me. Talk on. to me. What, number one, I am a big Trump supporter. But first off, I would like for you to speak intelligently on the topic of subperio osseo integrated implants. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Exactly. Nor do you know what the hell you're talking about as far as the Trump presidency, yet you are pontificating. <laughs> on things I know a, something a, about. A, I'm not going to take up a topic that you raised that I know nothing about, but things I do know about, I pontificate on, like the Trump presidency. Okay, so, all right. What, so what did I say that was wrong? All right. Let me begin. When did you make your first multi-billion dollars what did i say that was wrong well okay when did you become president of the united states of america you cannot talk on a level that what did i say wrong. that was wrong you can tell me what i haven't done you can tell me i haven't made billions of dollars you can tell me i'm not president of the united states i know all that and i think all our listeners know all that what did i say that was wrong about president trump and he does the fact that he made a billion dollars justify vulgar language? Does the fact Hello? that he made a billion dollars justify the fact that he is not leading the American people? Does the fact that he made a billion dollars justify the fact that he is not doing anything positive to make this country great again? Is it no. my turn? Go ahead. Okay. You say that, pres that his presidency is impotent, but is it not the House of Representatives and the Senate that's impotent? Isn't there some, I don't know what it's called, maybe you sure. might, separation of powers or... Sure. Call it leadership. You know powers. that President Reagan 
had a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate, and he still managed somehow to get some, not a lot, some good stuff passed. And you don't think a President Reagan is impotent because he found a way to lead the American people and to force the House of Representatives Senate, which were much more hostile to him than they are to, uh, to Trump, to actually get stuff passed. Donald Trump has been impotent in his leadership. I mean, we're six months in to an eight-year term. All right. Well, we will see. Uh, unfortunately, we're coming up on a hard break here. Um, and if you want to tell me what I did wrong, you can stick around and I'll take you after the break. Otherwise, we're done. This is the Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brooks Show starts now. All right, welcome to hour number two of the Yaron Brooks Show, and we're talking, uh, we're talking about Donald Trump right now. Uh, I want to move on from that in a little while, but I've still got Joseph on the line. I'm going to take his call in a minute. Uh, I cut him off there. Um, and we'll see if we can get something positive uh, from him. He's gone. He dropped. Okay, so we've lost uh, Joseph. Um, let, me just, let me just say this in summary. I mean, Donald Trump is, in my view, and I've said this from the beginning when he was running for president, he's not a thinker. Uh, he, he emotes. He he. he, he it's all about emotion. It's all about that quick tweet. It's all about, you know, whether it's an anger and any other kind of emotion. He is driven by emotion, not by rational thinking. He has no agenda because he has no ideas. He has this general notion that he wants to make America great again, but he has no concept of what America is and therefore has no concept of what it would mean to make America great again. He can't lead a Republican party that is split about what America is about with, with a big portion of the Republican Party basically being Democrats light, basic, basically being socialist light, and a few members who might be pro-capitalist in, in one sense or another, plus a strong role uh, for, uh, believe in a strong role for religion in, in politics across the Republican Party. Uh, you know, so that you've got you've got this Republican Party that's dysfunctional, that doesn't have a clear agenda, that doesn't have unifying principles other than a general hatred of the Democrats and of the left, and then you don't have a leader who can think, who can articulate an actual vision. Making America great again or America first is not a vision, unless you. Fill it with content, with ideas, with programs, with things that would actually be done. So Republicans cannot repeal Obamacare because they cannot advocate for a real free market in healthcare. There might be half a dozen, to be optimistic, uh, senators who actually believe in free markets. There, there, there's a middle group that eh, doesn't really believe in free markets, that doesn't really trust free markets, but they don't really believe in socialism, so they, they, they can't be for Obamacare, but they don't really know what to do. And then there's a small number, McCain, Susan Collins, who are basically socialists when it comes to healthcare. How do you, how do, you do anything with that? And how do you find a few Democrats? And there might be a few Democrats 
who realize that Obamacare is collapsing, that realize that Obamacare is finished, that, that Obamacare is dis destructive, and get them to work with you on a free market solution or a solution that moves towards free markets and, 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 and actually get some Democrats to vote on this. And I don't think that's unthinkable. I really don't. Now, I think it's unthinkable for Trump. And I think it's unthinkable for, for, for some of these uh, senators. But I, I, I think there's some Democrats who understand health care and the disaster that is Obamacare more than McCain does, more than Susan Collins does, more than even Rob Portman does from Ohio. So, but, but they, they're incapable of reaching out. They're incapable of talking to anybody. They're incapable of offering actual solutions. And what's really they're incapable of is presenting a vision, a, a free market vision for healthcare, exciting the American people about it, get the American people rallying about it, get the American people writing to their congressmen about it, writing to their senators about them, get them out in the streets demonstrating for free market healthcare because it's so cool, it's so exciting, it's so wonderful because somebody has articulated that vision. Healthcare quality going through the roof and prices coming down and choices, individuals having choices about healthcare for themselves and for their families. What a revolution that would be, but somebody has to articulate that. Somebody has to articulate that and nobody is. There's no leadership in the Republican Party. On the other hand, there is leadership in the Democratic Party. We got, uh, over the last week or so, we got the new Democratic economic plan, the Chuck Schumer presented with a vision, a vision taken right out of Bernie Sanders, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, they're presenting this exciting economic program. By the way, uh, if you want to continue defending Trump, uh, you can still call in 888-900-3393. I guess, I guess it's not a good week to ask people to actually call and defend Trump. <clears throat> you know, you can attack me personally and you can say he's better than Hillary all that you can do, but I'm actually looking for somebody to defend Trump. Oh, I've got, I've got somebody who has a soft disagreement. I don't know what that is. All right, Luke, before I go on to attacking Democrats, what's your soft disagreement? Um, so basically, um, I think I will agree with you on pretty much everything you said. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that Trump, um, he is not doing a whole lot that he should be doing. I'm going to disagree with you on one small thing. I'm not going to say it's because you're not a billionaire or a president. Um, what I'm going to say is you compared them to the stuff that Reagan got done. And I think the Democrats that uh, Reagan had to deal with were, you know, Grandpa's Democrat Party. And it's definitely not like that anymore. I mean, yeah. we got hardcore communists. And I really think they would just disagree with Trump. If Trump came out saying that um, he supports single-payer and free, free uh, uh, reassignment surgery, um, the Democrats would oppose him just for the sake of, this, uh, of opposing him. So he can count on 50 percent. Oh, I actually doubt that. I think they would instantly no. make him a, a, an honorary member of the Democratic Party if he if he came out for those things. But, uh, but <laughs> well, I would I would have to concede because you're a lot more intelligent than I am. And uh, and I actually think that Donald Trump is going to come out for single payer in the end because I think that's I, the only solution to the quandary he's placed himself in. Uh, and as he's, soon as the, the vote didn't pass, that was what I was my sneaking suspicion was yeah. that uh, we're going to have communist health care in America. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. Pretty spot on. I mean, he, we, we elected him to do what was good for America. And all he's focused on is foreign policy so far. And 
he's not really, I mean, maybe 10, 15% of what he's actually talked about yep. since being president has to, be, has to do with domestic stuff. No, I think that's right. And even the foreign policy, I, I, I don't, I haven't seen much America first, real America first, what I would consider a real tough America, a, a real America focused on its own interest. I haven't seen from him. But, but I will agree with you on this. There's no question the Democratic Party has moved dramatically to the left since Reagan years. And the Republican Party has moved dramatically to the left. Absolutely, and my, I really hate when they say that the Republican Party is moving far to the right. No. So that's just not true. No. I think that even as conservatives, we're centrist because the Constitution should be at the center, and we all support the Constitution yep. with anarchy yeah. being to the right and totalitarianism being to the left, and everybody's moved to the left. Except and, that's, right. and that's a better way of thinking about it. I agree with you. I, I don't like this left-right, actually. So I agree with you. Everybody's moved away from the Constitution. Everybody's moved away from this country really stands for. Everybody's moved away from individualism, from rule of law. You saw that in the Obama administration. Everybody's moved away from, from the American founding and the founding principles of this country so that the Republican Party is not the Republican Party even 30 years ago. And they were wimps then, let's be clear. They were wimps then. Uh, they, they've been wimps for 100 years, but they systematically, every decade, move further and further away from the principles that made this country what it is, from the principles of the founding, the principles of individualism, of individual rights, of, of individual freedom, and the principles of capitalism. They don't understand. And, and yes, they've moved in a sense to the right on things like religion, on things like the social issues, but on, on the economic issues, on the issues of the rights of the individual, because it's not just economic issues, uh, on the rights of individuals, they have become more collectivist and more anti-American than they've ever been before. So yes, in that sense, Trump has a hard time. And, and I would sympathize with Trump if he articulated an individualistic, pro-capitalist, um, pro-individual rights message and the Republicans and Democrats were blocking him. But he's not articulating anything. His message is, get something done. And, and you know, when the Prime Minister of Australia comes, he, he compliments the single-payer you know, socialist medical uh, care that they have in Australia. That's the message he's giving us. He's not giving us a coherent pro-American message because the fact is he doesn't know what America stands for. He doesn't understand individualism or the Constitution. Did he mention the Constitution once during the campaign? And had, no, sir, I don't, I don't believe he did. No. And then all these conservatives voted for him. All right, Luke, I'm glad at the end of the day we basically agree. Um, yeah, and it's sad, can though. I, can I say one more thing to you real absolutely. quick? Absolutely. Uh, a week or two ago, I had called in uh, when you were talking about the UBI, and yep. uh, I had asked if you read any books, and you suggested I read Ayn Rand, and I just want to say that I got it, and thank you for recommending that book. That book is amazing. So, so you're reading Atlas Shrugged? Yes, sir. Uh, excellent. You made my day. You just made right, my thank day. Thank you, sir. You All right. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for calling. And, you know, I wish I'm waiting for the call who will actually explain to me the grand strategy here, will actually explain to me why I'm completely wrong about President Trump. Look, at the end of the day, I want what's good for America. I, I, I want this country to be great again in a, in a meaningful sense. I want the resurrection of a constitution. I want respect for individual rights and respect for individualism. I don't see it. You know, if I'm missing something, let me know. All right, you're listening to Iran Book Show, and um, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, and we're on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
is the Yaron Brooks Show. All right, so I spent the first hour plus, you know, going after Donald Trump. Uh, you know, we got to give equal opportunity here for the Democrats because uh, they, they've been they've been they've been pretty stupid the last couple of weeks. I mean, they're always awful. Stupid is too nice of a word. Awful. So uh, Chuck Schumer has come out with a new Democratic uh, economic plan. They're very excited, the Democrats. They're, they're going to they're gonna run on this in the election. I hope they do. Give me a lot of fodder if they do. And it's, they've got great title, right? They, you know, they've, they've, they've picked up from, uh, they've learned from Donald Trump and they've learned from, uh, from Bernie Sanders. And, uh, you know, they've got a great tagline. The tagline is, a better deal. I wonder where they got that from. A better deal. Better jobs, better wages, better future. Don't you love that? Aren't you for better jobs, better wages, and a better future? I want a better deal. How are they going to get it? Well, let's go over. You know, they haven't, of course, given us the details. God forbid you should actually have the details. But, uh, but uh, what are they, what are they uh, proposing here, right? They're proposing cracking down on monopolies. All right. That is supposed to give people a better future, right? Because monopolies are so evil. And we're going to go after drug companies and, and force them to lower drug prices. And, of course, lower drug prices means less R&D, which means less innovation, which means a worse future for most of us, right? Then they crack down on the monopolies. What's new? Democrats always want to crack down on monopolies. They always have. So do Republicans, by the way. The Sherman Act was passed by a Republican uh, Congress in 1890, and uh, Republicans have never done anything to uh, do away with antitrust laws. So yippee, Democrats want to crack down on monopolies. What what? new, exciting, new economic program they are proposing. How are they going to get us better wages? Did you hear this one? Another original idea, another a brilliant one, original, brilliant, and, and completely consistent with economic theory. They want to raise the minimum wage nationally to $15 an hour. Ignoring the data coming out of Seattle, which has already raised the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, that, that destroys jobs, that it, it actually causes people to work less, uh, time is being cut, uh, it, it, youth unemployment is increased, and uh, people are just, their time, instead of working 40 hours, they're working fewer hours because the businesses can't afford to pay them less. Of course, if you raise wages by $15, hour, $15 an hour, what else happens? Well, the other thing that happens is cost of living goes up because companies are going to raise the price of the stuff they sell. So that kind of destroys the other part of their agenda, which is lower the cost of living. Democrats are committed to lowering the cost of living. By raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, they're guaranteed not to be able to do that. How are they going to create jobs? They haven't gotten to that part, particularly when raising the minimum wage is going to destroy jobs. They haven't quite gotten to that. I mean, these people, it's just unbelievable how much uh, uh, they are just opposed to reality. They're fundamentally opposed to reality. Now, this is, I guess, what unites both Democrats and Republicans. Republicans, at least some of them, glimpse reality and are too cowardly to actually face it and embrace it and, 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 uh, and go with it. Democrats don't even recognize the existence of reality. It's, it's, it's a complete fantasy when it comes to these things. Then when you add what's going on on campuses, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the gross attacks uh, 
on free speech within uh, within the democratic movement, if you want to call it, within the movement of the left. Uh, it, it, you know, the the left is becoming the the the. The Democratic Party and its satellites on campuses and intellectually and philosophically are just becoming worse and worse and worse. And it's it, it's becoming scarier and scarier, uh, you know, to, to, to track these things and, and to follow what is going on, you know, with the people with the people on the left. And we've talked about the people on the right. So what hope is it? There were these. Um, there was a, a, a survey uh, recently, uh, and I know that, you know, so you have to be careful of surveys, and, and certainly I, uh, I would want, uh, I would be uh, very careful of uh, jumping on any survey data as definitive, but I found this survey really, really interesting, a, a couple of surveys. So the first survey was uh, by YouGov, and this one was surveyed re Republicans. And it found that 45% of Republicans, 45% of Republicans support letting courts shut down news media outlets for publishing or broadcasting stories that are biased or inaccurate. Think about that. A court would now decide what is biased and inaccurate and shut down publishing or broadcasting. This is the whole attack of Trump's on the media, on mainstream media, the whole idea of false news and making you know, false news is false news. It should be attacked. But this this idea that the media is just that 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 false news and bias and all this is the same, and courts and government should be allowed to shut it down. Forty five percent of Republicans support this. Only eighteen percent of Democrats. So it appears, ooh, Democrats are good on free speech here, right? Only thirty three percent of Republicans recognize that finding news media outlets for publishing or broadcasting stories that are biased or inaccurate would violate the First Amendment. Only 33% of, of Republicans realize that. All right, so we say, okay, on this one, when it comes to the media, Republicans, when it comes to free speech in the media, Republicans are much worse than Democrats. Right? Now, again, I grant the fact that I'm sure the, the way the question was asked and the polls are biased and everything, but then there was a YouGov, same company, poll, that asked, that asked people whether they think the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, as it's currently written, does or does not allow people to make public comments intended to stir up hatred against a group based on such things as race, gender, religion, ethnic origin, or sexual orientation. Only 60, 64% of Republicans recognize that the First Amendment allows you to insult people based on race, gender, religion, ethnic origin, or sexual orientation. But only 48% of Democrats recognize this. I mean, that's, that's scary. More troubling is that 48% of Democrats recognized, right, the, the, only 48% of them recognize that the First Amendment allowed people to stir up hate as I'm doing right now, I guess. 51% of them favored making it a crime to do so. 51% of Democrats favored making a crime stirring up hate in a sense of attacking somebody on race, gender, religion, ethnic origin, or sexual orientation. Now, I'm not a big believer in stirring up hate on any of those things. I think it's horrible to identify people based on their race or based on any, any of these parameters. But you have a right to do it. That's what the First Amendment is there to protect us. It's to protect us from, to protect people making offensive speech.
All right, we'll talk more about this when we come back after this break. Um, because this is, this is the creeping totalitarianism that we have in this country. This is left and right, both opposed in various forms to the protections of the First Amendment. And that should scare all of us. You're listening to your Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Yaron Brooks Show. All right, well, let me apologize. I've been so negative today. It really is. I'm getting depressed from all this stuff. Democrats are pathetic. Uh, the left is, is more bankrupt than ever. The, 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 the Trump administration is just a joke. I mean, just a joke. And, uh, and is, is as pathetic as ever. The Democrats' new economic plan is more regulations, more controls, more tax on corporations, higher minimum wages, higher cost of living. It's, it's you know, it's socialism light. They don't even have the guts to be out and out socialist, at least that would be interesting. It, 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 and, and the Republicans are just Democrats light. There is no free market party. There is no semblance of a, of a, of a constitutional party, what Republicans at least used to aspire towards. There maybe is a half dozen decent Republican senators, maybe even less than that, maybe three or four. It, it's just an out and out disaster politically. The situation in this country is just awful. And then I read you the statistics on free speech. The Republicans are anti-free speech now. If it's if if you're attacking the media, then you can do whatever the hell you want, right? Democrats are anti-free speech. If it's the silent speech that offends their special interest groups, which are race, gender, blah 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 blah, right? So each group has that area of free speech that they want to go after based on what they've decided the enemy looks like. Disgusting. End of civilization as we know it. Free speech, and I'll talk about this in future shows many times, is a foundational concept for civilization, for freedom. Without free speech, we are lost. And we'll both the left and the right, supposedly left and right, agree that free speech should be modified, moderated, should be attacked. It's hard to be optimistic, and yet, I want to turn to some optimistic subjects, but you know what? I've got callers. And in the name of taking callers, um, I'm, I'm going to avoid the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, delay the optimism for just a little bit. All right. Uh, we have uh, Skyla from Delaware. Uh, hi, Skyla. What's up? Good afternoon, Dr. Brooke. Good I afternoon. I had a question regarding, yes, yes, sir. I had a question regarding hatred or hate. In your opinion, do you think that hate can motivate, it can inspire? It can highlight parts of history that may have been maybe harsh to take, but you have to learn from it. Yeah. So Skylar's Skylar's asking whether hatred can inspire, can motivate, can can in a sense get us to learn about history and about about the real evils that are out there. And I think the answer is yes. I mean, hatred when targeted at at something that deserves to be hated, that is that where, where there is justice in that hatred. Absolutely, hatred can can motivate and and uh, can can inspire. 
I, I, you know, I'm not against revenge. I think revenge is, is important. If you've ever read The Count of Monte Cristo, if you haven't read The Count of Monte Cristo, you're in for a real treat, one of the great, great novels written in Western civilization. I, I encourage you to read it. And it's about revenge, and it's about hatred. It's about hatred of people who are unjust. It's about hatred of injustice. And, and hatred can motivate significantly. The problem with hatred is when it's not targeted at something that is truly unjust. When it is targeted that it's something non-essential, it's targeted at a just thing, then it can be unbelievably destructive. But I'm not one of those feel-good people who thinks, oh no, cleanse yourself of hatred. Let go of all the hatred. If only you think positive <laughs> thoughts and walk around smiling, life will be so wonderful. Give me a break, right? So, Absolutely. Um, so no, sometimes it's appropriate to hate. I hate Donald Trump. I hated Obama. Hate I evil. hate Bush. And part of my right. motivation to go after them is the, the degree to which I hate all of those guys. All right? Thanks, Skylar. Appreciate the call. All right, we've got Russell from Virginia. Uh, Russell, uh, what's up? Hi, I'm Mr. Brooks. My thing is uh, with the, the, the Democrats' new uh, the better deal, which the first time I heard it, it literally sounded like the new deal. Yeah, like, it's are, a better new people... deal. Right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Are people really going to support this? It's, it's the exact same stuff they've been running yeah. off for like the past hundred years. There's nothing different. I don't, like, well, when no, I saw it, it, there's nothing different. Cheering. You're right. But look, a lot of people supported Bernie Sanders. And arguably, if Hillary Clinton had been less corrupt, Bernie Sanders might have won the Democratic nomination. And if you had had an election of Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump, there's a good chance Bernie Sanders would have won. So we are not that far off from this populist, socialist light, or, or real socialist uh, vision for America, where we penalize wealth, we penalize success, we penalize uh, business, and where we redistribute wealth on a massive scale even more than we do today. And um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a it's really scary, but the American people, I think, are right for this. I think today, if, if you really presented, if you made a, a, a cogent argument for single-payer universal socialist health medicine today, mm -hmm. I think a majority of Americans would vote for it. I think that's where America is. I think that's what the American public wants right now. And uh, the complexity of insurance and the muddled insurance and the ugliness of the insurance markets today, the uncertainty about your fees next year, the deductibles, the co-pays, all of that. People are just fed up with what they perceive wrongly as a free market in healthcare. And then no leadership on the free market side, no leadership, no projection of what the ideal looks like. They would rally around single payer uh, socialist medicine in a heartbeat if, if, uh, if that was presented in a cogent way to them. All right, Russell, thanks for calling. Appreciate your call. Appreciate you listening. And, I, you know, I got to turn optimistic. I, I, I got to say some positive things about the world because otherwise I'm going to be depressed. And, you know, if I'm depressed, you're going to be even more depressed. And uh, that's no way to live life. And, and the fact is there's a lot of wonder in the world. And I, and I, I, uh, I tweeted and, and wrote about Facebook on the story that I read, which, which I found amazing. And that is that uh, for the first time in the U.S., uh, they have managed to edit the human genome in an embryo. So they've managed to go into an embryo and change its DNAs. 
and as far as they can tell, without uh, without uh, polluting the rest of the DNA. So this had been done in China several times, but it had failed in a sense that, yes, they'd managed to change the one gene that they were targeting, but at the same time, they changed other genes that they didn't want to. And this is for the first time, supposedly, if the study is right and if the story is right, this is the first time where they've used this uh, CRISPR, which is this new technology for gene editing, uh, where they, can, they have targeted a specific gene, a gene that's defective, that causes birth defects, and they've managed to change it. So that theoretically, if this embryo was, was, was uh, placed in the womb of a woman and carried to term, it would not have the genetic defect that it was supposed to have. And they did this on uh, over 100 embryos. So they took, uh, they took uh, eggs and they took sperm from males who had this genetic issue, and they impregnated the eggs. And at the point of making the egg pregnant, in a sense, of, the, of that, they inserted this thing, I don't understand science enough to tell you what this thing is, to change the genes. It's called this CRISPR, this CRISPR is this technology. And it's, it's unbelievable, right? So you could basically take genetic diseases out there, and, and I would argue that, and, and many people have argued that many of the diseases we have today are basically genetic. And you can manipulate the genes at the level of the embryo when it, before it first divides, so that every cell from then on has the corrected gene. I think this is amazing. Now, I know all of you out there are scared. You know, what if bad guys get a hold of this technology? They're going to make a whole race of blue-eyed, blonde Hitler youth, and so on and so forth. But yeah, and yet they're dangerous. Every technology can be used for evil and is dangerous. But wow, I just love it when the human mind invents new ways to control nature. It is so cool. And there's so many good things that can be done here. Think about all the wonderful, wonderful things about curing diseases that can be done here. Uh, so this is a huge advancement in technology and medicine and science. And it's, it's just terrific to see. And it's terrific um, that, you know, we get to live and, and see this through. And I view it. Yes, there's danger, but the benefits far, far outweigh the dangers of such stuff. It's the same with artificial intelligence and robots that people are so afraid of. Even, even Elon Musk, the robots are going to take over the world. Cool down, man. The benefits of these things far outweigh the risks and the dangers of something bad happening. Yeah, they could happen. They could happen. But so, so could nuclear technology be used for a bomb. Yeah, it was used for a bomb, and, 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 but for the most part, the good guys have controlled the use of that bomb, and it hasn't been used too badly, you know, in, in any bad way yet. Uh, every technology can be used for evil, but I believe in human beings. I believe in our ability to create great things and do great things with technology and improve life on this planet. When we get back, I want to talk about improving life on the planet and where we are. Is life as horrible as so many people on left and right would like us to believe. You're listening to your Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
Yaron Brook. All right, so we're back, and unfortunately, we only have like five and a half minutes or so uh, to talk about some uh, positive things uh, other than the gene splicing technology. But we're going to have to do a whole show about this because there is now a new movement, if you will, among certain intellectuals called the New Optimists. I like it. I, I, I think that's cool, right? The New Optimists. Um, it's led by, by uh, mostly Europeans, as many of these intellectual movements tend to be, uh, primarily by Jan Norberg uh, from Sweden, uh, Matt Ridley from the UK, and Steven Pinker. Steven Pinker might be an American or a Brit. I'm not sure. Anyway, important intellectuals in our time. And the basic, the basic idea that uh, the new optimists are advocating for is that we underreport and don't seem to value all the good news that is happening all around us all the time. For example, you know, just a few things, right? Child mortality has roughly gone down in, by half since 1990. Since 1990, it's gone down by half. An additional 300,000 more people gain access to electricity every single day. The number of people in extreme poverty fell by 137,000 people since yesterday. So basically every day, right? So there is massive good stuff, food, sanitation, life expectancy, poverty, violence. We'll get to violence in a minute. The state of the environment, how clean the air and the water we consume is. Literacy, even freedom equality of before the law and conditions of childhood have all globally improved dramatically and are improving every single day right now as we speak they're getting better as recently as 1882 only two percent of homes in new york had running water in 1900 World, uh, worldwide life expectancy was a paltry 31 years. That's unbelievable, right? Worldwide life expectancy today, worldwide is 71 from 31, right? So in terms of violence, violence is interesting. According to Steven Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, which I strongly recommend, particularly the first half of it, um, we are living in the least violent period in human history with isis with what's going on in syria with the massacres and wars in you know africa with all the violence in chicago with all the violence all over the u.s the you know that donald trump has convinced us is you know going through the roof right with all of the horrible stuff going on in the world if you look at rates of death in wars murder rape, even bullying, all down, all in steep decline. We live, from this perspective, in the best era, the best period in human history. Now, there are other things that are not so good, and another time we can talk about those, and, and they're very important. But from a material perspective, from a material perspective, there's never been a better time than today. And this is important. This is important. Um, I would, I would add, 
that it is all a consequence of enlightenment thinking. It's all a consequence of the discovery or the rediscovery of, of, of the efficacy of reason, the, the, the bringing in of reason into civilization and replacing mystical revelation as a source of knowledge, replacing superstition and sticking to science and reason and knowledge, real knowledge. And while we in the West, in the United States and Western Europe, are losing that, and we, I still believe, are in decline, the rest of the world is discovering the Enlightenment, at least in some sense. The idea of individualism, the, 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 the fact that the individual is an end in himself, the fact that the purpose of politics is to protect the individual and the individual's life, that is on the rise everywhere in the world except, you know, the West and certain parts of the Middle East. So globally, things are getting better as things in the United States and Europe, if not getting dramatically worse, suddenly heading in the wrong direction. All right. You've been listening to the Ron Brooks Show. We're on the Blaze Radio Network. Talk to you next week, same time, same place. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.